I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. I'm really excited to share this next conversation with you because it touches on so many things that I love to talk about on Reset when we're getting beyond the news, food, culture, relationships, and personal stories about what makes people tick. I recently had a chance to chat with Chicago foodie and food writer Kevin Pang. Now, he's a journalist and writer, but he wears a lot of other hats, too. You might know him from the Proof podcast from America's Test Kitchen. Hey, friends, it's Kevin Pang here. I think the most delicious sandwich in the world is the Philly cheesesteak. Or his time with the Chicago Tribune. Or from Hunger Pangs, that's the YouTube cooking series that he hosts with his dad. Together, they cook traditional Cantonese dishes and some American Chinese classics, too. I'm Jeffrey Pang. I'm Kevin Pang. Everybody loves Gong Pao chicken. Today, we're making the most famous Chinese takeout dish ever. General So Chicken. Right now on Hunger Pang. Well, Kevin Pang and his father adapted some of these recipes into a very Chinese cookbook, 100 recipes from China and not China. Now, it came out in the fall and made the New York Times 2023 Best Cookbooks list. With Lunar New Year celebrations underway, we invited Kevin on to talk about the significance of the foods eaten during this time and to learn more about the cookbook. I started by asking him what Chinese New Year celebrations were like for him growing up. When I think about Chinese New Year, I think about it's almost like American Thanksgiving because there are food traditions, you know, in the same way that on Thanksgiving Day, you have to watch football and then uh, you uh, eat uh, uh, candy yams and mashed potatoes and mm -hmm. turkey. In for Chinese New Year, there's a very uh, sort of specific set of things that you do. We would always go to our aunties and uncles and our grandparents place they would always give us these red pockets filled with money which was awesome yes and then there would always be food that we would eat um you know we would eat things like sesame balls and we would eat fish and we would eat chicken and so um the thing i remember with chinese new year was that it was just a lot of foods a lot of uh, respecting our elders. And for us kids, we got a lot of money, which was always very exciting for us. Sounds like a fantastic combination, especially when you're a <laughs> kid. Is. And a lot of the foods you say uh, you, you must eat uh, for Chinese New Year, they're homophones of auspicious words or, or words that suggest a positive future. Absolutely. Give us some yeah, examples. We yeah, we, we have uh, a homophone-based diet, so I'd like to say us Chinese, which means that we like to eat food that sound like words that are associated with good fortune and prosperity. So for example, the Cantonese word for fish is yu, and it also sounds like the word for surplus. So we think that if we eat fish, we will have a surplus of money. And another example ah. is that uh, we would we always like to eat tofu on Chinese New Year. And because if you look at a block of tofu, Sasha, it looks, uh, it, it's a square or cube shape. Right. And it looks like a field. And so the the theory goes, and I don't think this has been scientifically vetted, but I, you know, it's just something we've gone along with all our lives, is that if we eat tofu, we would have a bountiful harvest for the following year. So uh, uh, we like to eat food not only for its uh, deliciousness quotient, but we also like to eat it because we'd like to think that it would bring us a certain measure of good luck in the yes. following year. I'm so glad you shared that story. I also want to hear more about sesame balls, which you mentioned a moment ago, because 
I know there's a story there about keeping kids out of the kitchen when, when, yeah. when they're being made. <laughs> yes, it's kind of crazy, about? you know. So sesame balls, uh, they look like these. I mean, these are these round spherical uh, fry balls that are speckled with uh, sesame seed, right? The idea of why we like to eat sesame balls is because there is a Chinese phrase, and uh, don't uh, make me repeat it, but it's this Chinese phrase where if you eat it, you'll have gold and silver rolling into your household, okay? And so Chinese parents would take this so seriously that on the day before Chinese New Year, on New Year's Day, these parents would make these sesame balls, and they were not allowed to have kids in the kitchen because they don't want to jinx it in some way. Oh, so, goodness. Uh, you know, I I know it's kind of crazy. So I remember my parents would make these sesame balls and they would say, Kevin, just hey, stay out of the kitchen. Just keep playing Nintendo. And so uh, <laughs> I did that. And the day after, I got these really delicious, chewy uh, fried sesame balls and filled with lotus bean paste. And it was just absolutely delicious. Sounds yummy. What are your favorite Lunar New Year foods to not just eat, but to make? Oh, boy. You know, a lot of times we, even if it isn't associated with Lunar New Year, we would make these dishes that's, number one, we just love to eat. But also, I just love the idea of being around the kitchen table and making it with your parents. You know, every single culture around the world has that tradition, whether yeah. you have, uh, you know, Mexican grandmas making tamales or, you know, Polish grandparents making pierogies, right? For us Chinese, we love to sit around and make dumplings. And dumplings are so important to us that I remember that when I brought my then girlfriend, now wife back home to meet my parents for the first time, mm -hmm. right? Within 20 minutes, my mother had sat my then girlfriend, now wife at the kitchen table, showing her how to make dumplings. It's almost like a, uh, it's a way to ingratiate yourself uh. and it's a way to say, welcome to the family. So any sort of communal act where we get to make things together, such as dumplings. And another example, Sasha, is I love making scallion pancakes. Uh, in mm. Chinese, we call it chong yao bang. And so it's just like rolling these really crisp flatbreads filled with scallions, and uh, you, you fry it on a cast iron skillet. It's just absolutely Ooh, delicious. That sounds and, great. Uh, I love making those, yeah. Yeah, I went to my first dumpling party over the weekend, and I had a ball. The warmth in the room was just, it was just great. To your point of folks just sitting around and just enjoying the sights, the smells, and just enjoying each other for yeah. Lunar New how Year. Are, how are the dumplings that you made, Sasha? Were they, they, did they turn out okay? They did. I, I was a little messy at first because <laughs> it was I was a first-timer, but no, it, it was really, really good. Um, now, this makes me think of your book because in your book, you include a really touching piece. It's called My Father, the YouTube Star, right? Uh, you wrote it uh, years ago for the New York Times, it's about how cooking brings you and your father actually closer together. So I want you to talk yeah. a bit about that. Tell us about the way cooking became, in your words, a lingua franca for the two yeah, of you. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the back story is that when uh, I, I immigrated, my, our family immigrated to North America back in the late 80s. And uh, when you are this new foreign world, as I was, uh, in America, and the kids are asking, well, why do you wear this off-brand tennis shoes? Why does your lunch look and smell like that? As a kid, what you want to try to do is to fit into America as best you can. And simultaneously, at home, I have these very proudly, uh, very proud Chinese folks who are trying to hold on to our, our culture. And when you have these two cultures living under the same roof, tension 
will will flare up yeah. and as it did in my household as it did in many uh of my immigrant friends too and so you know my parents and i we got into a lot of arguments and uh we never really got along and it wasn't until i became a food writer at the chicago tribune that these one two minute conversations that we would have mm -hmm. every weekend about nothing at all became really deep dives and discussions about food and i remember having half-hour discussions with my parents about how to make shumai, the pork and shrimp dumpling. And, and the way that my father would describe it, 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 he almost sounds like James Joyce. It was so poetic. And it, he talked about how the dumpling wrapper should should embrace the filling, like uh, the petals of a flower, like the prongs and diamond ring. And I'm like, wow. who is this guy talking to me, you know? So we, we, we had something in common, and that was our common language. And then as you're talking about the uh, the My Father, the YouTube star story, uh, one day about 11 years ago, my father forwarded me in, uh, a, an email. It says, from Jeffrey Pang, uh, Jeffrey Pang sent you a YouTube video. And of course, what do I do? I deleted it because, you know, when your parents forward you a video, you don't really want to watch it. You think it's like some sort of a conspiracy theory. Right. But then weeks later, my mom said, you really should check out this video and it turned out that my dad had started a youtube cooking channel and it was it completely blew my mind because some of those videos have like more than half a million views which oh, wow. back in 20 2012 2013 it was pretty hard to get half a million views on youtube he went so, viral uh, he went viral without your help uh, <laughs> without my help and i was working in digital media and he was just right. completely like destroying me in terms of view count and then when I asked him why did he make those videos, Sasha, he said, well, you know, you and your sister don't always like to talk to us. And one day when we're gone, uh, you might be thinking about the food that your mom and I used to cook for you and you're going to want those recipes. And so we decided to um, make these recipes, create them in a language that you and your sister uh, conversant, which is YouTube. Oh, <laughs> I love that enough. so much. And, well, you know, yeah. all of that history, I mean, it, it led to now, right? Because uh, watching Hunger Pangs, uh, which is your, your series with your, your dad, it is super fun to watch. You guys are hilarious. It's, it's informative. You're weaving in the stories uh, like the ones you're sharing now. And, and you and your dad just have this really nice rapport. It, it just, it, it really, really tickles me. Here's a, a, a moment from, from the series. Uh, you're making dry chili chicken. This is three cups of Sichuan red chili peppers. These are dried, and yes, I said three cups. You might be thinking, Pangs, you are crazy, but let me ask you, Dad, are we gonna be eating three cups of chili? No, <laughs> no, this is only for decoration. Okay. Okay, and also add the aroma to the dish. It adds the aroma, yes. So uh, as you're eating it, you're gonna get that really beautiful fruity, aroma of these peppers of these toasted peppers it's almost like a um like a chinese chanel number five right <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean what does it meant to you kevin to be able to share recipes in this way with an audience and with your father next to you um it's it's been very surreal sasha i i, I never expected to do this i'm not a uh, trained chef by any means i was a food writer for many years at the Tribune. I was reviewing restaurants. And so um, I didn't even have time to cook. And it wasn't until I became a father myself that I realized that um, the act of cooking with your parents is such a sacred act mm -hmm. and it's something to be cherished. And to have the, some of these recipes, there's an entire chapter 
in a very Chinese cookbook that are recipes my parents had brought to them from Hong Kong on this tattered blue notebook, which they had jotted down. And uh, they still have it some 35 years later. And to have those recipes, uh, you know, tested by the, 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 the test cooks at America's Test Kitchen and refine and have it out in the world. I mean, it, we're really, really lucky. I'm really, really grateful uh, for that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk some more uh, about the book, Kevin. So only 100 recipes made the cut. I'm curious, you know, what went into you deciding what recipes you wanted to include? From the start, we knew that having a Chinese cookbook and trying to be comprehensive was just an impossible task, uh, unless you had a 3,000 pages and uh, like an Encyclopedia Britannica. We were never going to be comprehensive. So that made the decision then of just choosing our favorite recipes, a, a really natural one. And of course, Chinese cooking, you know, when I think about China gastronomically, it's more a continent than it is a country. So the food that I would grow up eating in Hong Kong would not be recognized by a kid who grew up in Beijing, and it would not be recognized by a kid who grew up in Shanghai or mm -hmm. Xinjiang or wherever. So uh, a lot of the food is, you know, there are the obligatory uh, American Chinese favorites like General So's chicken and uh, and orange beef that we had to include in there because yeah. we knew that, you know, folks who are readers of America's Test Kitchen are going to want those recipes. But then we were able to choose the recipes that I really wanted that had emotional meaning to me. Mm. And a lot of these recipes come from Hong Kong. And so... Uh, oh, tell me about those a, ones. Which ones? Oh, yeah. So there's a very... Uh, unexpected dish, Sasha, called Portuguese chicken. Now you're thinking, what is a dish called Portuguese chicken doing in a Chinese cookbook, right? <laughs> well, if you look at just how, like, you know, the the Portuguese, uh, you know, like the, the the spice traders, they eventually landed in Macau, which is 45 uh, minutes west of Hong Kong. And from there, they brought, uh, uh, they brought to Southeast Asia things that were heretofore not in Southeast Asia, things like curry powder, and potatoes and coconut milk mm. and so the hong kongers have adapted this dish called portuguese chicken it is these chicken thighs that are like uh, you know seared really beautifully and it's in this creamy curry coconut milk sauce oh. that goes over uh steamed rice and it is the mac and cheese sasha of every uh hong kong kid oh my what goodness. is mac and cheese to to american kids portuguese chicken is for kids from hong kong it sounds so delicious. Oh my gosh. You, you had me. At, I'll bring some over. You had me at curry coconut milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want to talk more about American Chinese food, which you, you brought up just to, you know, the importance of throwing some of those recipes in, in the book. But uh, specifically, there's an egg roll recipe in there that was inspired by an egg roll that you had at a Chef's Special Cocktail Bar, which is located here in, in Chicago, right? And, and you I talked about it being restaurant. the best you ever had. Oh, yeah. So this is uh, Chef Jason and Chef uh, Aaron at Chef Special Cocktail Bar in Bucktown. And I had it. And, and these this is a uh, they're doing American Chinese food and they're really executing it at the highest possible level. And when they served me this egg roll, I thought, oh, my God, this is absolutely delicious. And I try to ask them for the recipe. They, of course, uh, politely said, no, we, we kind of want to keep it to ourselves and for good reason. It's really, really good. So I tried to recreate that recipe in a very Chinese cookbook, and I made 17 batches. I think I got pretty close. Uh, I would still say that if you want one of the best egg rolls you'll ever have, go to Chef Special Cocktail Bar. But if yeah. not, and you want to try to make it at home, you can 
get my cookbook as well. <laughs> and for folks who aren't familiar with America's Test Kitchen, uh, the focus is on the objective parts of cooking, the, the science right. behind the techniques. Why is that? Yeah, so we've been around for 30 years, and uh, we've got a couple of shows on PBS. And if you go to Whole Foods, you can see our magazines on the magazine racks. But what we're known for, I mean, compared to a lot of other recipe sites, is that um, every recipe on average, Sasha, costs $11,000 to develop. And our Boston headquarters, and, uh, you know, of course, I live in Chicago, but I travel back and forth to Boston. Our Boston headquarters, it looks like a science lab. And mm. there are cooks in there every single day testing recipes over and over and over and over. When we're done testing, we then send it to our home testers and they make it themselves and they have to score, 80% of those folks have to score, I would make this again, otherwise we start again mm. and, we, and we, we go back to the drawing board. What a process. And so, but yeah, it's, it's a very, very long, rigorous process. And so by the time we publish a recipe, we feel so confident behind it. And, uh, you know, every cook, every recipe in this book was similarly rigorously tested as well. Well, just hearing that makes me feel even better about this here. I, I noticed in the beginning of your book, you shout out the team of, of recipe creators who, who helped develop the recipes and their pictures are in there. They're next to the recipes that they worked on. Just just giving credit where credit's due. Why was that important for you to include? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are the folks who put in the work. These are the one. These are the people who are testing individual dumpling recipes and then testing hydration levels five percent at a time to ten percent water, fifteen percent. And I mean, it wow. is yeoman's work. And I have all the respect and shout out to all the test cooks who worked on this. And uh, it was just so much fun to collaborate with them. And look. Uh, these are not just my recipes, my family's recipes. These are the recipes from the test cooks who work in America's Test Kitchen. And so uh, I'm, I'm very proud. And I think it was only the right thing to do to uh, give them a shout out and yeah. uh, give them the credit that they deserve. We'll leave it there. That's Kevin Pang of America's Test Kitchen and author of A Very Chinese Cookbook. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sasha. This episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Linnea Dominic, edited by Dan Tucker, and mixed by Brenda Ruiz. Thanks for listening. But here's a question. Are you reading Reset? We've got a great daily newsletter that digs into Chicago news and culture. You can sign up at wbez.org slash reset news. The newsletter hits your inbox every day at 10 a.m. So whether you're signing up for that or catching tomorrow morning's podcast, we'll talk to you then. I'm Sasha Ann Simons.